Good morning. We are going to be continuing in 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter 2. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses, but then we're really going to focus on the first four verses for this part of the service. Um, but verse 5 is really the completion of the thought that has begun in chapter 1, verse 1. And verse 4 serves as a beautiful bridge between, then when we get to this section of Peter's letter, uh, verse 4 serves as a beautiful bridge between connecting the truths of the first four verses within the truths of the next five verses. And so we're going to read through verse 5, but then we're going to focus on 1 through 4. Uh, the words will be on the screen, or feel free to read along with me in your own Bible. Uh, this is the ESV version. So, actually, I'm going to back up. Uh, just like <laughs> more scripture is always a good thing. Um, just like Mario read, we're going to reread chapter 1, starting in verse 22, because the important thing to remember with scripture with these letters is when they were written, when Peter wrote this to the early church, he wasn't writing this as segmented, unrelated thoughts. This was one cohesive letter, one cohesive message. And so you can't understand chapter 2, what we have broken down into chapter 2, without understanding what we have labeled chapter 1. And so we're going to start in uh, verse 22 of verse 1, or of chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your abiding word. We thank you that it purifies us as we submit to it. And so, Father, we ask that in this time now we would submit to you and your word. We thank you for the sharp, double-edged sword that it is. And we ask that it would pierce through. That it would cleave from us what needs to be removed. That it would encourage us where we need to be bolstered. That we would be reminded of you. That this time would draw in our hearts a fire for you. And drive us to long for you more and more. We thank you for the fellowship available to us, that you are not a distant God, but you are a God who draws near to his people. What a privilege it is to come before you. We trust you with this time. May these be your words. Get rid of everything that is me in this time. May your spirit open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears. We want to know you. We want to be like Jesus. Use this time for your glory and for the building up of this body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we reread the end of chapter 1 because Peter has now entered a section of his letter that really hinges on that phrase, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. 
And he lays out in this next section of his letter, he lays out kind of three distinct things we see that are a direct result from purifying our souls by obedience to truth. What did we look at last week? What is truth? John 17, 17, God's word is truth. So in knowing scripture and applying scripture and allowing it to transform us and submitting to it, there should be results in our lives. And last week, we looked at the primary result, this this earnesty of love for one another. And now as we move on to this next section, we can't lose that thought. Okay, that thought of earnestly loving one another is not separate from the start of chapter 2. So in conclusion to this idea of love one another earnestly, what does he say? He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And keep in mind, he is writing to the church about their relationships with one another. He's not writing to the church about how it talks about the world. He's not writing to the church talking about how it interacts with the world. He is writing to the church talking about your earnesty of love for one another. And in that earnesty of love, we must put away malice and anger and slander and deceit and hypocrisy in our inter-church relationships, in our fellowship with the bride. And I think this is important that Peter includes us and that we draw note of it because I think we need to be honest that we tend to these things within the body of Christ. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves that we don't always approach our relationships with fellow believers with the love and dignity and respect and humility that they deserve. Consider these verses in Ephesians. This is Ephesians 4. Once again, just like these letters in 1 Peter where you know, 1 Peter 2, 1 is not separate from 1 Peter 1, 22. And in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, where you were about to read these words, this is in a section, the start of this section is literally called unity in the body of Christ. So Paul, while talking about the body of Christ, the relationship of believers to one another, Paul says, starting in verse uh, 17, he says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then he goes on, he's, and he, he identifies what this is, how non-believers live, how non-believers act, how non-believers engage. And then in verse 22, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, what's that look like? He goes down to verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Galatians 5, 16, 25, and 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. These are all reminders to the church of how we are to view one another within the church. And I, I think we need these reminders Because I think one of the temptations for believers when we consider each other, and I know I've fallen into this, I honestly, I find it easier to forgive non-believers. 
I find it easier to extend grace and compassion and mercy to non-believers because I don't expect anything different from them. But I look at the church, and when I'm, when I'm hurt by the church, when I'm insulted by the church, when I'm wounded by the church, I want to scream out, you should know better. And so it's right for me to withhold forgiveness. It's okay for me to hold back mercy. It's okay for me to slander you to Brian. It's okay for me to hold on to a little bit of malice, a little bit of resentment, because you should know better. So I know I need this reminder in 1 Peter. I know I need these reminders in Ephesians and in Galatians that the way we love the bride of Christ is called to be the same standard with which Jesus loves his bride. And so within the church, we must put away these things. And that word for put away, it is, it's to cast off, it's to renounce. It's not to, you know, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to tuck it on this shelf and I can pull it back out when I want it. It's out the window, in the dumpster, I'm done with it. Peter reminds the church of this. I think we need that reminder in our lives today. And this is tied to our love for one another. So in our love for one another, we must ask, okay, not only am I actively seeking ways to love you, to earnestly love you, to stretch myself in love for you, but am I also guarding against the negative ways that I may think about you? The negative ways that I may talk about you, that I may consider you. If you look at those things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, those are all thoughts or speech. That's attitude or speech. So when I engage with Joe, it might look good on the surface, but my attitude towards Joe is wrong. And when I'm in the car driving home with Adeline, my speech about Joe is wrong. The external behavior might look good. The superficial, the shallow might look good. But these things, they get to the heart. So we have to be willing to look at ourselves and say, what is my heart to the church? Does it reflect the heart of Jesus? And then Peter goes on and he gives the flip side of this. What is one of the easiest ways, what is, this, what is the strongest way to guard against this? What does, what's the thought that began this? Having purified yourself by obedience to the truth. And so Peter goes on and he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Some translations will add of God's word. Anybody ever been around a hungry baby? Yeah. If you've been around a hungry baby, you know that that child is doing everything in its power to satisfy its hunger. I mean, it's, it's a baby, so it's limited in what it can do. But that baby is doing everything it just two days ago. Like literally, what's today? Sunday? So Friday. Friday morning, I was hanging out with our daughter, Violet, and she was hungry. And I didn't realize it was a little bit earlier than she normally eats. So I'm trying everything else to make her happy. And she is screaming until I get that bottle in her hand. And then she's satisfied. But she did. She made every effort she humanly could to get the nourishment she wanted. Adults, are we like hungry babies? What effort are you making to get spiritual nourishment? What effort are you making to grow spiritually, to get what you need? I mean, are you giving everything you humanly can to be fed? 
to get what you so desperately need. Job 23.12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is the person who is blessed. So when you're watching YouTube and the the thing pops up on the side, hey, do these three things and you will have blessings pour out on you. Sow a love seed to receive blessing. You want to be blessed? Here's your checklist. God's word says, no, you know who the blessed person is? The one who delights in my word. That's what blessing is. The one who craves this, who desires this, who spends all day with this. That is the blessed individual. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Anybody ever felt weary in this life? Anybody ever felt beat down? Exhausted? Discouraged? Despondent? You ever have a day where you just want to quit? You're just like, you hit 11.30 in the morning, you're like, forget this. I'm going home, I'm locking the door. I'm breaking my phone on the way there, and I'm not coming out. This is too much. I can't take another day at this job. I can't take disappointing this family member one more day. I can't take fighting with this family member one more day. I can't take feeling like this one more day. My soul is depleted. You ever feel like that? You know how you revive your soul? The law of the Lord. This is what God says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Anybody ever said, I don't know what to do? I I wish I could get an answer here. I just, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. God, give me wisdom. The testimony of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Basically, the entirety of Psalm 119 talks about this. Jeremiah 15 and 6 or 15:16 says your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. So the question again believer in seeking to live like Christ in seeking to love like Christ in seeking to love the church earnestly in seeking to put away all malice and slander and anger and hypocrisy and deceit are you like a hungry baby going after God's Word, going after learning from the Lord? Are you doing everything in your power to get what you need? Or is it, well, when it's convenient, I'll engage with it. When it's easy, when it's packaged in a nice little bite-sized, I can give it two minutes of my day and then get on with what I really have to do and want to do. Or are you like, no, I am... I'm a nine-month-old throwing a fit until I get God's word. Long for this. 
like newborn infants. Peter reminds the church of this. He calls the church to this. And then he continues this thought. He says, where is this found? He says, coming to him, him being Jesus. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for learning from God's word. Long for that coming to Jesus. And that word that he uses there, come, to come, when he says coming to, the one commentary described it, that's talking about the Greek, the Greek vocabulary of this word. And he says, the principles, tense, and voice indicates that this coming is a personal, habitual approach. It is an intimate association of communion and fellowship between believers in the Lord. It is coming with the intent to remain. This isn't the drive-through. This isn't curbside service. This isn't, hey, Jesus, I'm here. You got three minutes. Cool. There's what I need. There's the nugget. All right, I'm on with my day. This is, I'm here to sit. I'm here to remain. I'm here to stay with you. I'm here to fellowship with you. I'm here to know you and be known by you. This is a deep love for the Savior, for our Lord. Consider John 15. And if you know John 15... I am the true vine. John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Listen to this. When life gets hard, when we feel like I can't do this anymore... I can't do this. I can't fill in the blank. I can't love my neighbor like that. I can't extend mercy like that. I can't extend grace like that. I can't love like that. When we start to say, I can't, think of John 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The moment, so before, the, during the last song, just to let you guys in on my life, the last song of every service is, I just, I need that time in deep prayer. And my prayer is simple. It's John 15. Because the moment I stand up here thinking, you know what, I got this. We're doomed. We, we are dead in the water the moment I think I don't desperately need Jesus to lead this sermon. The moment the worship team is like, yeah, you know what, we're pretty good at this music thing. We don't need Jesus to lead this time. We're done. The moment you all start to think in your day-to-day, nine-to-five, two-to-seven, four-to-midnight, whatever shift you're on, whatever job you're in, the moment you think, I can be at home, I can be retired, I can take care, the moment you think, you know what, I, I think I got this, I'm good on my own, you're dead. You're done for. Apart from Jesus, the church can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, the believer can do 
nothing. So as we come to Him, it must be a habitual coming, not just a, okay, I'll be here when I need you, but I will be here always because I love you. That's where our life must operate from. That there is nothing I crave more than time with my Savior. There is nothing I delight in more than to be with Jesus, to learn from Him. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to get a call from your boss. Hey, Joe quit because Sam said he's got to just spend 24-7 reading the Bible. I don't want Leanna calling me saying, uh, that was our primary income. Are you going to start paying our bills? Like, we have to learn how to do this in the calling that God has placed on our lives. Right? So wherever we're working, wherever we're living, wherever we're playing, wherever we're engaging with family, we have to learn how to do so in a way that is abiding in Christ in that. Not forsaking him in that, not relegating him to, well, this is the part of my day that's, you know, Christian holy time. And then this is the part of my day that's work time. And this is the part of the day that's hobby and yard work time. Like, no, it's got to be as we come to Jesus, the moment our eyes wake up, and then we stay with him throughout the day, we abide in him. And I keep using that word, abiding in him, because it's a biblical word, it's the scriptural word. What's it mean? I mean, anybody ever heard, like the first time you heard the word abide, you're like, okay, great. Uh, Can we get a definition? God's word gives it to us. He gives us how to, am I abiding in Jesus? Well, what's God say about it? 1 John 4, 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. All believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, we're going to read it this week. Does your life demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Do I work with joy? Do I work with patience? Do I disagree with someone with gentleness? Do I engage in the unbelieving world with faithfulness? Does my life, do my actions, do my conversations, do my thoughts reflect and demonstrate evidence of the fruit of the Spirit? That's a way we track, am I abiding in Him? 2 John 1.9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. What's your habitual approach to Scripture? What's your personal communion with Scripture? I mean, really look. If you're serious about this, take a piece of paper and in a week just track, okay, how much time does God's Word get in my life? And what time does God's Word get in my life? When? I'm a morning person, so I give God His time and His Word at 11 at night when I can barely keep my eyes open. Does that sound like first fruits? No. So track, track and see, what is my relationship with the Word of God? Am I abiding in His Word, abiding in His teachings? Daniel 6.10. Shout out to Bruce for reminding me of this chapter this week. So Daniel 6, what's happened in Daniel 6 is you have a group of leaders, rulers in the city, who they are jealous of Daniel. You've got, you know, angry, disgruntled people over here, and they're jealous of Daniel, they're ticked at Daniel, they don't like the position of favor he has with the king, And so they want to tear him down a peg. And so they convince the king, hey, make a rule 
that for you know the next couple days, like the next couple hours, nobody can worship anyone other than you because they knew Daniel's habits. They knew Daniel's perpetual behavior. And so they're like, hey, king, make this rule that nobody can worship or pray to anyone but you. The king's like, yeah, okay, cool. And he makes the rule. He issues the decree. Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Some translations will say, as was his habit, as was his custom. External circumstances did not dictate Daniel's approach to prayer. If you read Job, go to Job, go to the first chapter of Job, and what do we see in Job 1? We see that Job is a righteous man unlike no one else on earth, and we see that his habit was to constantly intercede in prayer and make prayer and go before the Lord in prayer. This detail is explicitly listed in Job 1. So what's your habitual approach to prayer? Well, I need something from God, so that's when I pray. Well, you know, before every meal we say, Lord, thank you for this food, nourish it to our bodies, amen. Great prayer. Thank you, God, for food. All right, but that's the extent of my prayer life. 30 seconds, because I have to, because that's, that's the only way you can eat a meal, and then I'm done with prayer for the day. I mean, what is our abiding in prayer? Does our prayer life depend on how easy and well things are going for us? God, I'll praise you when things are good, but not when things are hard. When things are hard, be real with God. I mean, you read through Psalms and you look at how many times David is just broken before the Lord. I'm not saying don't do that. But you look through those psalms and you see how many times they conclude with David saying, but nonetheless, I will praise you, God. This is the theme of David's prayer to the Lord. What's your habitual approach to prayer? And then 1 John 2, 5, 6, and 10, but whoever keeps his, his being Jesus, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. You want to know if you're abiding in Jesus? Are you living like him? I'm too good for those people. They're the sinners. So at work, I talk to these people because they're the good ones. Well, is that how Jesus behaved? Well, I'll forgive him once he forgives me. Respect is earned. Is that how Jesus behaved? Are we walking like Jesus? You want to know if you're abiding in Jesus? Are you walking like him? Are you living like him? And then what's he say? He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In 1 John, what is light? God is light. Whoever abides in God loves his brother. What's your habitual, earnest approach to loving your fellow believers? I mean, these are ways that Scripture lays out for us to track, am I abiding in Jesus? Am I coming to him with the intent to remain? Because that's what abide means. Abide means to remain. And so it all comes back to what Peter wrote 
purifying yourself by obedience to the word, long for the pure spiritual milk, which will nourish you, which will grow you. What does that look like? Coming to Jesus with the intent to remain there. Is that the cry of our hearts? Or are we wondering why church is so hard? Are we wondering why relationships are so hard? Are we wondering why work is so hard? Not paying attention to the fact that we have disconnected ourselves from the vine. And then we're wondering why we don't bear fruit. We've got to go back to the vine. Peter calls the church to this. And then he does something that I think is so beautiful and so powerful. Because now we're going to talk about opinions for a second. Or for the remainder of the message, rather. Because everything we've looked at thus far, there are two opinions on these topics. There's God's opinion, and there's the enemy's opinion. I mean, you go back to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. There's God's opinion on envy. And then there's that voice that whispers, yeah, but, I mean, come on. Like, they go on three vacations a year. You haven't gone on a vacation in ten years. Like, that's not right. That's, that's not right. So in this case, you know what, a little bit of envy, we'll just disguise that, and that's okay. Hypocrisy. Deceit, malice. Well, here's why that's okay. And just look in general, Sam, forgiveness is a good thing. But this was a teacher at the Christian school your parents helped work and serve at, and he abused your brother. So in this case, it's okay to harbor bitterness and not be forgiving. I mean, there's two opinions on that verse. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. There's two opinions on that. There's God's opinion. And then there's the, yeah, but dude, you're, you're just so busy. And you're busy with good things. You're serving in the community. You're making time for your family. Like, you are busy with good things. Just, you know, you'll, you'll get to God next week. It's okay. You're just in a season of busyness. That's an opinion you'll hear coming to him to remain there. Your to-do list is a mile long. So yeah, you made time for Jesus. Good. That's, he just wants, you know, whatever you can throw him, that's fine. Just, you know, if you've got five minutes left over at the end of the day, give that to him. That's good. You're doing what you're supposed to. If you've ever listened to that opinion, go read the book of Malachi and see what God thinks about half-hearted worship and see what God thinks about less than our best. But that's an opinion that you will hear on that verse. And so then Peter presents us these differing opinions as he talks about coming to Jesus, abiding in him. He does this, this incredible thing. He says, coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He's echoing Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. It is always worth 
mentioning the preciousness of Jesus. I mean, I could call you in 20 minutes after you're home and be like, hey, let me just quickly remind you of how precious Jesus is. That would be well worth the phone call. We preached on it two weeks ago. We spent a lot of time looking at the idea of preciousness of Jesus. If you want a reminder on that, go back and watch the old message. Because this morning we're focusing on that contrasting opinion. Because until we learn to listen to God's opinion, which really isn't an opinion, it's the voice of truth. It's not an opinion like, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? We can debate this. It's like, well, here's the world's opinion. Here's the enemy's opinion. Here's God's standard of truth. So I use opinion, but it's not. This isn't a debate. This isn't, well, maybe God's wrong. Maybe he missed the point on this one. God's like, no, this is truth. And that's what we're going to finish with. Because if we're not listening to God's voice in all of this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you nod your head and say amen this morning if you have no intent of listening to God on Tuesday evening. So we're going to look at what God says. And we're going to consider this idea of which opinion are we listening to in this world. Be afraid. There's a ton going on messed up in the world right now. Every day I feel like there's three new stories of how messed up and broken things are. We should be afraid. We should be terrified. We should be so anxious and panic-filled. I mean, look at the circumstances of this life. We should be fearful. Or, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So am I going to listen to the newscasters telling me to be afraid? Am I going to listen to my friends telling me to be afraid? Am I going to listen to the enemy whispering in my ear, be afraid? Or am I going to listen to God in Isaiah 41 where he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Whose opinion are you listening to? You're alone. No, no, Isaiah, God says he is with me. Whose opinion am I going to listen to? Well, you don't understand, that's hard. I'm a burden to God. You're a burden to God. I mean, you look at how much is going on in the world that is broken and messed up, and he thinks, or you think that he has time for your petty concern that day? This is God on his throne. Don't interrupt him. He's too busy for you. Or, Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Friends, if you have ever listened to the opinion of the enemy that you're a burden to God... Please stop what you're doing. If you're distracted, if you're starting to fall asleep, wake up, listen to Zephaniah 3.17. If you have ever listened to the enemy, describe your relationship with God. Listen to how God describes his relationship with you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Those aren't small words. Those are not trivial words. Those are not easily dismissed descriptions. God will delight in you. God exalts over you as his child. 
Don't you ever listen to the opinion that says he's too busy for you or that you're a burden to him. Listen to God's opinion. 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards Him. God's eyes run to and fro. I mean, God is actively searching for those who believe in Him to support them. It's like, where's Waldo? Except God knows exactly where Waldo is at all times. But he is actively looking for you to support you because he delights in you, because he exalts over you. We cannot listen to any other opinion on these things. We must listen to God's word, which comes back to, are we abiding in it? I mean, don't raise your hands. Zephaniah 3.17 that's not a common book. How many of you have Zephaniah earmarked in your Bible? How many of you have ever read Zephaniah? How many of you didn't know Zephaniah was in the Bible until I just quoted it? <laughs> Guys, abide in God's Word. Know it. Paul says in Acts 20 that I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel to you. Know all of it so that we know these verses, so that when the opinion of the enemy pops up, we know what God has said about these matters, and we can abide in the truth. John 9, 1 through 23, we're not going to read all of it, don't worry. But this is a stark contrast to what we just talked about. So in John 9, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. He's doing great things. The people are loving him. The people are following him. And the Pharisees are getting more and more ticked at him. And they're getting more and more ticked at people listening to Jesus. And so the Pharisees threaten, hey, all right, we're going to start actually issuing repercussions for people who want anything to do with Jesus. There are going to be consequences to you listening to Jesus. And in John 9, Jesus heals a man who has been born blind. And it's, been, it's incredible. And so the guy starts praising Jesus. He's excited about, right? I mean, if you've been blind your whole life and then you get your sight, you're going to be pretty fired up for the person who just did that. You're going to be like, hey, cool, dude, thanks. I'm going back to my, like, you're going to be excited. So the man's excited. But here's where the story picks up. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. How many times... Have we as believers neglected to provide testimony to the person of Christ because we are more worried about the consequences from the listening audience? How many times have we neglected to say, yeah, I know why that's different because of Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me provide testimony to Jesus because we are concerned with the response of those listening. Whose opinion determines our behavior? 
John 12, 42 and 43, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We're going to look more at this next week. I'll give a sneak preview. But did you catch that final idea in John 12? They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You think there's no reward to standing with Christ? You think there's no blessing to it? Verse 7, like I said, we're going to look at this next Sunday, but verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. The honor, the glory, there's no greater joy, there's no greater privilege, there's no greater thing in your life than to testify that Jesus is Lord. There is no greater honor, there is no greater glory, there is no greater joy than to fellowship with him. We sang that song about the fire in our veins. Hebrews 12 describes God as a consuming fire. I mean, this, this is the greatest privilege in this life, is to say to someone, Jesus is Lord, let me tell you about him. And so it's got to begin with coming to him. It's got to begin with abiding in him because I can't think of anything else I would rather do. I can't think of anything else that would be more meaningful. And again, I'm not saying you just become a hermit living in the woods. Like, what makes fellowship great is that it's fellowship in Christ. My favorite part about yesterday's workday wasn't the projects that got done. Man, we could have hired a contractor crew to do that stuff. My favorite part about yesterday was watching people sit down and eat lunch and you had third graders to 70-year-olds sitting side by side laughing and talking and having fun. You had people working alongside each other debating the merits of different Christian hip-hop artists. Like You had fellowship that was made rich and sweet because it was built in the person of Christ. Food is more enjoyable when you realize that there was a chef who crafted each of those flavors deliberately. Music is a blessing when you think that God constructed the eardrum so that we could hear it. I mean, church, come to Christ. Please, in your lives, be people who remain with Him, who delight in Him, who long for Him as infants for spiritual milk. This is how the church loves and lives like Jesus. Please join me in prayer. God, you are good. Every possible conceivable use of the word good, you are good. Everything about you is good. Time with you is good. Learning from you is good. Being corrected by you is good. 
being rebuked by you so that we may grow is good. Fellowship with other believers celebrating you is good. Delighting in this world that you have made is good. But longing for the new earth is good. God, you are good. And we praise you for your goodness. Lord, would you teach this church to be a church that abides in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.